Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on this Tuesday edition across the Outkick Network. That means uh, you can join us in multiple ways. If you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you. We're rolling uh, along here. That's Hutton. right. As well as uh, on YouTube, on Outkick.com is where you can find us streaming live as well. Uh, a number of places. It's wherever you can find us. Repost us on social from wherever the, uh, you're watching. Just opening. Uh, take tweet. the link to that and just post it. That's right. Somewhere. If you can, yeah, exactly. John McClain's coming up uh, in 20 minutes. Uh, NFL headlines galore, including scoring way down through the first six weeks uh, of the season compared to the, the last two years. We just look. You don't have to look very far to see points, but you have. You, you can't look through this season. Uh, Chad, last night, Cowboys. Chargers, there were 20 penalties combined in that game. And this is coming off of a Sunday where there were 25 flags in the Browns 49ers game. There's a lot of yellow on the field and not many points on the board. And I'm not saying that's the sole reason. There's a lot of bad quarterback play. Last night, uh, Herbert, Justin Herbert played maybe his worst game of his NFL career. Against the Cowboys' defense. Yeah, it was... Um, just miscues and uh, it, mis- mental errors, bad coaching. Like just it, was, the, it was sloppy. I, yeah. I just... There's something about games at SoFi Stadium featuring the Chargers and uh, an opposing fan base that takes over the stadium that, to me, just makes it a weird game to begin with. And last night was kind of one of those weird games that just seemed I- imbalanced the entire time because the penalties, yeah. because the poor play of Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott absolutely dropped one in the bucket on one touchdown pass. That was that was good to see if you're a Cowboys fan. But last night's game was sloppy is how I could best describe it. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the fan base. It's tough whenever you're the second team in Los Angeles and the Rams had already previously been there. Yeah, I you saw know? that the crazy lady that the ESPN kept showing, yeah. which I, I was watching videos of her Way too long last night, <laughs> celebrating and just going through the entire the entire gamut of emotions that a fan might go through. There was a lot of speculation that she was a paid actress or that she's not yeah. a real uh, fan okay. that was paid to be there and kind of be a gimmick. Interesting. And um, that's not the truth. I, I, I saw where busted coverage and someone else tracked her down. It is a real person. She is a real Chargers fan in the flag. I know there's not many of them since they moved to L.A. that you can find out in the wild. But she is definitely one of them. It's not. There's not a Chargers nation. No, it's not. It's like finding Sasquatch, <laughs> finding a Chargers fan. Uh, Chargers fans, Arizona Cardinals fans. These are some of the NFL fan bases where it's difficult to spot them out in the open. But we spotted her last night. I, that was, given the Monday night countdown performance that I saw, which was terrible. That was the best thing ESPN did all night was focusing the camera on that lady the entire time. She was awesome. Chad, uh, there's a, a former coach that we're not going to find back in the game anytime soon. That's where we lead off with our Scorched Earth headlines today across the uh, Outkick Network. Urban Meyer 
says he you're not going to find him returning to to college football. Uh, it, he said this in front of the Knoxville Quarterback Club, uh, admitting it's never been harder. I'm telling you right now, every coach, every player has an agent. Think about that. Remember those days? Maybe a coordinator every once in a while had an agent. There's nothing wrong with agents. They're great. But when I'm the head coach having to deal with high school player that says, hey, meet with my agent first, am I going to meet with your family? Uh, I want to do that because I, I want to uh, talk about recruiting and other stuff. Uh, he also says, I'm good. Don't, don't look for me in, uh, in college uh, coaching. I never really took a day off. People, when I say that, I, they scratch their head. I'm like, I never took a day off. I had some health stuff go on. I became addicted to sleeping pills. I was just a maniac worker. So no, no desire. He's more, or I think he's more or less describing every college coach right now across the country. You have to be a maniac to put up with the hours that they're doing in recruiting, transfer portal, recruiting your own roster all over again. And then you finally get to game day. And that's, that's your escape. Uh, and then you're criticized based on the product on the field. And then it's rinse, repeat. And you try to get some sleep in. You try to get some family time in, which is few and far between. And that's why coaches would love to jump to the NFL compared to the college regiment that coaches are currently going through. I, I believe one thing that Urban Meyer said in that entire thing, and that is when he said, I'm a maniac, or I was a maniac. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm serious, because I don't know that I could trust anything that he's saying about oh, so not you're saying coming you, back. Okay. Yeah, if he gets the right opportunity, I think he'll be back in coaching at some point. Uh, he'll find the challenge in it and want to do it again. And Urban Meyer was a maniac as a coach. I, I fully believe him when he says that, and everything you've seen about him shows that. I mean, he had physical breakdowns yeah, and mental breakdowns from losing, and that's the stress that a lot of coaches wear on themselves. And he talked about his sleeping pill addiction and, and all of that. I, I believe all of that. I, I don't, I believe him that right now he doesn't want to coach and he doesn't like the way things are around college football. I believe all that. Now, a year from now, if the perfect job opens up and he's feeling healthy and refreshed, is he still going to have the same opinion? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe two years from now. He's going to want to coach again. I, I don't know. Mac Brown got back into coaching. Okay, Mac Brown's 72 years old right now. He's doing fine. North Carolina's undefeated. He seems to be thriving in an NIL era. Uh, he's going scorched earth on the NCAA when yes. Tez Walker's not eligible. And they get the kid eligible, and he just lights up Miami in a game, in a second game back. So he's doing okay for himself. If Mac Brown can do that, a slightly aging Urban Meyer who's younger than Mac Brown, can certainly get back in the game and be successful. I agree that it does take a maniac uh, to excel in today's world of high major college uh, yeah, football. Exactly. The only way you can excel if you're not a maniac is you've got another highly paid maniac or maniacs on your staff. And what I mean by that is it's not just the head coach. There are head coaches that aren't great recruiters. There are head coaches that have maniacs on their staff that are great recruiters. There are coaches that have maniac collectives that work their butts off to make sure that they are in the living rooms or on the DMs or talking to top prospects to know they're going to have money-making opportunities within a certain program. So, yes, you have to be a maniac to some extent to be a head coach in today's college football world. I think you also need a team of maniacs to make it work at this point. And if you get the opportunity to go make a ton of money and coach in the NFL, it's a far better gig. 
It's just about football. You're not having to deal with nearly as much. Urban Meyer's talking about, I'd have to be directed to an agent now. I also kind of laugh because agents are great, you know, for me. <laughs> Urban Meyer could say that. I'm not saying anything bad about agents. They're terrific. My agent got me a lot of money everywhere I went, but how dare these college kids, you know, think they should have an agent. And I buy some of that. I, he, well, uh, I have long said there is – there are stations in life and pecking orders and chain of command to some extent for a reason. You know, a classic example is, well, the coach does this, why can't the player? Well, it's not always one and one when it comes to that. Sometimes the answer is because he's the coach and you're the player. The coach tells the player what to do. Well, the coach also just bolts. When you don't have that, you have the NBA where player controls coach. In, in that power dynamic. So there is certain things there. Now, I also believe in a level of, of mutual respect yes, and understanding and all of that. And if some kid wants to better his pocketbook through NIL opportunities, well, no coach should stand in the way of that either. Um, but, that, I, but I'm saying that and I'm kind of laughing that Urban Meyer even stopped himself. These kids today have agents. Don't get me wrong. Agents are great. My agent, you know, he can well, just go I don't, on. I don't even laugh Maybe about it's a ton agent. of money, but th- those agents are not good no, agents. It, it says the coach who tried to make it work in the NFL, where it's much more the model that he's describing that's wrong. Uh, it, you know, I, I do I think he gets back into coaching? He, Chad. It would have to be in college he, where he has more control. Not just where he has more control, where he has had nothing but success. Yeah. You know? But you're right about the program. Like, what program is the perfect one for Urban Meyer? He he was in the mix for USC prior to Lincoln Riley, and he didn't. He took his name out of that hat. Uh, ends up in Jacksonville because he was going to the NFL. Um, he came out and told Bruce Feldman zero right, interest zero, in Michigan State. Zero interest, but which like, is the big so, open one right so now. So the one where he's actually being mentioned, like because and, and here's why he's being mentioned, because there's the resume factor that this program would be looking for if they get rid of their coach. And that's Texas A&M. Yep. Uh, because it's literally the one person they could hire with a better incoming resume than Jimbo Fisher. Right. If they made that move, who has a national championship pedigree right now? Yeah. I I think of Nebraska with Scott Frost, that felt like the last great effort to do something. Yeah. The thought was, man, if Scott Frost, the guy who turned UCF into this powerhouse, after going 0-13 or 0-12, and then they went undefeated, and he's from Wood River, Nebraska, played for Tom Osborne. If this guy can't get it right, no one can. Well, that didn't work out. It kind of felt that way with Texas A&M. We're going to go for broke. We're going to pay all the money to a guy who's won a natty at Florida State, who's got the Nick Saban lineage, who's done all of those things. and Who came in with a resume that was really good. It's not working. So if you... The other route to go is you hire an unproven, but if you're going to go with someone who's very proven, that's the one guy you, you could get that's got a better resume. You, you would have to sell the fact that you're paying the buyout to improve what you're doing moving forward. If you go with someone that's unproven, you could have a lower floor than what they have right now, potentially. Like That's the other thing that you have to look at in determining whether or not Jimbo's out after this year. Yeah. you know, And it, it's going to be an interesting finish to the season for them. Because the buyout money, and again, it's not if you lose, it's how you lose. With their upcoming schedule, uh, joined Texas this morning, Chad. They have not won a game on the road in two years. Two years yesterday. Um, it, it, there's, uh, there's a fear it could be going on another year. 
because their next two on the road are Ole Miss and LSU. So it's intriguing to see if they dump Jimbo. But also, if Jimbo Fisher's out, who's next? Well, if you're looking for the national championship pedigree, Chad, there are not many out there. You know, it's, it's tough to find someone that has the same type of resume that Jimbo Fisher did when he took the job. So I think, I think Jimbo Fisher ends up keeping the gig simply based on the fact that there's not a lot of qualified, as far as the, 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 the bar that I'm assuming they want to meet, there are not many coaches yeah, you, like that. Are you going to hire Billy Napier? Unless With all due respect to Billy Napier, well, are you going to hire Billy Napier, a guy right. from UL Lafayette that's going to, you know, been a head coach at a lower level that you want to elevate to a job like that, pay him decent money, but don't break the bank for him uh, on top of what you're going to have to pay in a buyout? Or are you going to go big and try to lure an Urban Meyer in and then sell to your fan base that, hey, this guy that won a natty didn't work out. We're going to get this guy who won multiple natties at different schools to come in and hmm. surely he's going to work out. That's the route you got to consider. And at some point with Jimbo Fisher, if it doesn't get better, you just got to say, I mean, I, I think this guy that's a coordinator somewhere else could come into this job with these resources and do better. The guy's just not a very good coach right now for whatever reason. Or you know what? You could also go with this. Uh, one of the Pac-12 head coaches that's really jumped the radar this year. Maybe you get the Pac-12 championship coach to bolt. Again, you, it would be, you're right, it would be someone that's leaving where they are for the bigger, better job. But again, that, you have to find a maniac. Yeah, that, that, I, I going think back to someone, what was saying. you know, it, it's a pretty small sample size, especially for Dickert, but someone's going to get a good coach in Jake Dickert or Jonathan Smith because that's Washington State and Oregon State's current coaches. Good teams, they've been built by those guys. Uh, they've sustained some success from their, their, their previous coach. Younger guys that don't have a conference. So yes. they are going to be, I know Dickert's already been rumored to be the t one of the two top names along with Lance Leipold from Kansas for Michigan State. Those guys are going to jump this year. That's a pretty good floor for a job that comes open if you can go snatch one of those guys, it, I think. Uh, this weekend, the matchup between Penn State and Ohio State, both coaches could jump into the national championship resume uh, for their historic run at wherever they are. At Ohio State with Ryan Day, uh, he's looking to become that next great coach. And then, of course, James Franklin, if he's going to climb the ladder, this is the year to do it at Penn State with the team that they have, the talent around that their young quarterback, but also the fact that the Big Ten at the top still trying to figure out the pe pecking order. It starts this weekend in matchups that are few and far between that really matter. It's these two this weekend better coach Franklin or day I'll tell I, you I'll tell you who has the better resume it's James Franklin yes and I I'm, I'm saying James Franklin in my answer based on what I saw him do at Vanderbilt yeah and what has happened before well, and after he left James Franklin is truly a self-made man in college coaching love him or hate him I mean he came from not a lot worked his way into some situations that aren't advantageous offensive coordinator at Maryland is that a coveted job across college sports? No. Head coach at Vanderbilt? Heck no. It's probably the toughest job in the country or, or one of the three or four toughest jobs in the country. One back-to-back -back seasons, nine wins, back-to-back -back years at Vanderbilt. He's done a really good job at Penn State. 
not great. You know, hasn't been to a playoff or hasn't won a national title or a Big Ten title, but done really well and been consistent at Penn State outside of about a season and a half hiccup. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would take James Franklin over Ryan Day. Ryan Day did not know this until reading about him a little bit. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year in high school in New Hampshire and played his college football for Chip Kelly at the University of New Hampshire. And he's been attached to Chip Kelly since until he left the 49ers when Chip Kelly was there and jumped on staff at Ohio State. Almost took the job with Mike Vrabel and the Titans, but then stayed on to be full-time offensive coordinator at Ohio State and eventually got elevated to the job. He inherited a great program. He's kept it running very well. So kudos to Ryan Day for that. They're always in the mix. Who's the better coach? Give me James Franklin over Ryan Day. Both are very similar in their mannerisms. Both can take offense to the slight, even if it's the slightest slight in the media. Yeah. They're very self-conscious and and self-aware of how they portray themselves versus what may happen when the cameras are off. You know, and sometimes the camera's on and they can't help it and they just unload and unleash. Very similar, but one could be different if they can make the playoff and win. John, John McClain is next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Show is uh, rolling through today. Senator Tommy Tupperville joined us earlier. Now we talk to uh, the Hall of Famer. And oh, John our, our Hall of Famer. That's right. We don't get to talk to a lot of people in a Hall of Fame, much less pro football Hall of Famer. John's in multiple. John McClain. Yeah, he's not, that's not the only Hall of Fame he's that's in. That's right. SportsRadio610.com is where you can find his great work. Uh, hey, John, we, we were just having this discussion. I want to ask you, because you are all things Texas and the state of Texas. Uh, Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. Uh, if that team is, let's say, 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five at the end of the year, do you think A&M would pull the trigger? They've got the oil money, and oil is a, a good business right now for those boosters to be in. Would they pull the trigger on, on Jimbo Fisher? I think they would. I've heard that uh, there's a b- big group of alums who have a war chest ready to go to pay him off if they believe he deserves to be fired. Now, Jimbo's very popular with the media. He doesn't get a lot of 
negative publicity. When they stink it up in a game, he does. But as far as him, there's not a lot of demands in the state that he should be fired. And But they've been a disappointment. They had one good season. They're not getting their money's worth. As the Longhorns are going to find out and the Sooners are going to find out, it's a lot harder to win in the SEC than it is the Big 12. It's been hard for your Astros to win against the Rangers so far. What do you make of the series, and what do you hope to see in Game 3, which is tomorrow? Lead on my column uh, on SportsRadio610.com today will be the Astros have the Rangers right where they want them, on the road, because they have been horrendous at home. They are uh, one in three, let's see, yeah, one in three at home in the playoffs. They were 39 and 52 during regular season. No team that had a losing record during regular season has made the World Series. And the Astros have been, uh, they haven't been awful. They lost 2-0. Pitching was good. Hitting stunk it up in the first game. Uh, Romber Valdez, awful in the first inning, and yet it was 5-4. They had chances in the last three innings to win the game, couldn't hit with runners in scoring position, 0 for 6 in that in that situation. In the second game, 1 for 9 overall. Their bullpen is fantastic if they get a lead. Now, if they win the first game in Arlington, Max Scherzer against Christian Javier, I think the Astros will still have a chance to win it. But if they lose, it's over. And, you know, it's the Rangers that are playing like the experienced playoff team and the Astros are not. They're playing like chasing bad pitches, making base running blunders, fielding blunders, and the Rangers are just so smooth. It's like they're in the postseason every year. And what Bruce Bochy had done there after they choked the last game of their season and blew the division title to the uh, Astros has been fantastic. Rangers are they're built to last. John McClain with us. You can follow him on social at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. He's covered the league for five decades and uh, joins us weekly at this time. John, uh, through six weeks, offensive output in the league is down. Uh, down so much compared to last year through six weeks, 30 more touchdowns, offensive touchdowns were scored by now in last season. Uh, the year prior, nearly... A uh, hundred more, which is crazy to think about. 502 offensive touchdowns in 2021, and this year, 394. Um, and by the way, that's not counting last night. What do you make of the drop-off in that, in that area and what we're seeing right now from quarterback play to just sloppy offense and bad coaching? First of all... Uh... Think about where it would be without the Dolphins. Yeah, the Dolphins that's a great the point. Best offensive team in the league, and I'll tell you where it is because I've talked to ex players about it. I've talked to current players about it. Coaches, offensive lines. There are so many offensive lines playing bad because they don't have the talent or they've had injuries across the board. When you can't block people, you can't block for the run, and you can't protect your quarterback. You're in trouble. It's amazing how many games I see where guys have eight pressures by themselves. And it's all because of the blocking schemes and because of the talent and also by how little time they get in the offseason in which they can never hit. Every coach will tell you the offseason is more important. The hitting in the offseason that they're no longer able to do is more important 
for the offensive line than anyone. And when you lose some players, it shows up. And I think that that's one reason quarterback plays not as good. Watch any games. Guys are under the gun. You got to take a three-step drop. The ball's got to come out. If you don't, you're in trouble. Everybody would like to have receivers like Tua Tungvaloa. He takes three steps. He launches it. It's either deep down the sidelines or slant routes, and it works. But I think it goes back to what you got up front, and you have to make adjustments. And a lot of teams, they don't put a lot of emphasis on the running game like they used to because coming out of colleges, they always throw the ball. So I think there's some reasons for it. I think offenses will adjust the way defenses adjust. But right now, they're just getting manhandled up front. John, how about – Jim Schwartz, the Browns defense, the way they're performing right now, that performance on Sunday, and now the 49ers without Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey both going down against that Browns defense in the game. Browns have allowed the fewest yards since 1971 at this point in the season, which is amazing. And they're playing really well right now. If if their vote for assistant coach of the year was taken. Jim Schwartz went in hands down. There's a lot of coaches doing a really good job. Detroit, Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator, and Glenn, their defensive coordinator. I think right now Detroit's the best team in the NFL. Don't know if it'll last. But Schwartzy is doing a tremendous job, and I'm so glad he got another opportunity to run the defense. I don't think it'll lead to another head coaching job, but you never know. Seven offensive touchdowns have been allowed by Cleveland this season in six games that's crazy to consider what do you uh, Deshaun Watson and and the shoulder problem is there more to it than just a contusion well I saw I saw a report last week by Mary Kay Cabot who's covered them for 30 years she said he could be out multiple weeks and Adam Schefter comes back and said he could play in the next game right well he could and he could not so Adam can't be wrong right and uh, neither can Mary Kay. They can buck because when you say could or may, you're off the hook for anything. Fact is, he could play this game or he could play five games from now. Playing P.J. Walker, who was undefeated by the Houston Roughnecks, the previous uh, uh, alliteration of the the uh, XFL. And so we're familiar with him here. He had to be elevated to start. They didn't win that game because of them. They win it because of that defense. And if you can't keep the pass rushers off of the quarterback like Miles Garrett, who's he got to be, I'm not, boy, if I was voting right now, I'd take him over Micah Parsons, even though the Cowboys push Parsons all the time to be defensive player of the year. But uh, I'm going with Miles Garrett. He's been fantastic. And Schwartz knows how to line him up in that wide nine and let him get the quarterback. Speaking of great defense, the Jets put on a show this past weekend as well against Philadelphia, and there's Aaron Rodgers tossing the football around pregame, no crutches. There, the the limp was it was noticeable to at least the medical experts that it wasn't uh, that what they would expect to see at this point. To the to the point where on the optimistic side, he could return in the regular season in December and not just by the postseason. What do you make of all of this? and Rodgers being ahead of schedule, even according to those who know this injury and recovery well to the Achilles? Postseason. So if Zach Wilson gets them to the postseason, do they bench him for Aaron Rodgers coming off Achilles surgery? I think that'd be pretty stupid. He's not regular. 
if he's not ready for regular season and they're in the playoffs, just tell him to, you know, pack it up and be ready next year. And that defense is incredible. Running game's really good, but my God, Philadelphia played bad. Jalen Hurts was terrible. I mean, he didn't look like he didn't want to be out there, and that's not like Jalen Hurts. But uh, I like Robert Sala. He was here with the Texans for six years. A lot of people were ripping him, saying he he's more about his speeches than he is about coaching. And right now, people are feeling really good about him in New York and New Jersey. John, speaking of the Texans, uh, one of the surprise teams across the NFL so far this season, C.J. Stroud has been terrific. They're right there for the AFC South. How much AFC South champion talk is there right now in Houston with this team when you look around the division? Only thing I've heard this week, and that's and we've talked about it on two of my shows today, one podcast and one in studio, of could they make the playoffs? Now, they play Jacksonville here on November 26th. They, they pounded the Jaguars in Jacksonville, which they usually do. They've won 10 of the last 11 against them, six in a row on the road. And uh, we were going over the schedule game by game, and I have them losing to that. When I have them splitting with the Titans, and people say, well, how can you have them splitting with the Titans when the Titans are in such bad shape offensively? And I said, well, I'm giving Mike Vrabel one of those wins. And so we recalibrated my prediction before the season. They win six games, and I got got them going nine and eight, which would I think Jacksonville will win the division, and they'd be in the wild card running. And boy, the last time they were three and three was the last time they were won the division. That was two thousand and nineteen. People are having a lot of fun here right now. D'Amico Ryan, C.J. Stroud. They should have beaten Atlanta last week, and the defense couldn't make a stop in the last series, and they lost on a field goal with no time left. So uh, it's amazing to me what coaching can do, what attitude can do, because this team has been pathetic. Won three games last year. Now they've won three by week. They go to Carolina, Bryce Young versus C.J. Stroud, then they host Tampa, the schedule, two toughest games at Cincinnati and at the Jets, and we all put them down for automatic losses when Aaron Rodgers is there, and I still have them losing both those games. But it's fun. People aren't talking about winning the division. They're just talking about sniffing the playoffs. And, and speaking of schedules, Jacksonville plays on Thursday night. Trevor Lawrence has a knee injury. He's day-to-day with a short week against the Saints. And then following Thursday night for Jacksonville, who – leads the AFC South, uh, they will follow that up with a schedule that includes the Steelers and the 49ers. It's the opposite of what the Texans are about to face. It's what you play, what you get when you face the first-place schedule. Texans used to do that all the time because they won the division. And uh, now they're getting a, let's see, a last, let's see, next, yeah, last-place schedule. And uh, they're playing the NFC South, plus AFC South is not any good anyway either. So you should be able to capitalize like I think Detroit's the best team, and one of the reasons is they play in a terrible division, the NFC North. And that schedule and injuries have more to do with the outcome of a season than talent because every team has the injuries. It's really the one that keeps their quarterback healthy. John, uh, while we're talking schedules, the Super Bowl schedule, host city schedule, is laid out for the next three years. We know that. What do you make of Goodell uh, in the latest discussion over in London as they wrap up the series there this past weekend that there has at least been discussion and they will continue to talk about the potential of hosting the Super Bowl in London 
does that mean if and when they get a division there or they get one or two teams there? Because the host city is is and will be teams that are located currently in an NFL market. Would that be the way they would go about doing this? Or would they just consider a London an NFL market because there are multiple games there now every year? No, they would never play a Super Bowl over there with the current setup because the NFL is so popular. You want to cut into that popularity. You take their biggest game and you give it to a, right. a bunch of fans in England, and then they may think, well, Americans will fly over there. And sure, a lot of them would, but uh, I just don't see it happening because it would be universal negativity, and there's not much the NFL does that brings them universal negativity. There's a lot of talk that they need to have two teams over there. And one would play in Tottenham. The other one might be at Wembley. It might be in Germany. Germany is a great market. And they're going to branch out and play more games in more countries. And the reason is spreading the brand, but mainly it's about gambling because they've been gambling a lot lot longer than we have. And that's going to help them make an estimated $100 billion over the next five to 10 years. And but I, he can throw float that out there all he wants, and everybody that's around him would say, "Roger, pump the brakes," and he would. John, uh, final thing for you on the way out. We've got thirty seconds. We've got Eagles and Dolphins on Sunday Night Football. Are we going to see Philadelphia play their best here against the best offense going in Miami? They haven't done it yet. I don't think uh, this is going to be the game for them to do it. They'll probably beat up on little sisters of the poor at some point and say we're back. I'm sticking with the Dolphins. They are just so much fun to watch. And who doesn't love Mike McDaniel? Yeah, that's right. John, uh, who doesn't love John McClain? Uh, always uh, love having you on the show, John. Thank you as always. Good luck to your Astros tomorrow. Guys, thank you very much. They certainly need it. SportsRadio610.com. Always Hall of Fame in our work. book, John. That's right. That's always. right. Always. At McLean underscore on underscore NFL on social. Chad, coming up, J.J. McCarthy and the discussion that he could wrap up things at Michigan by having the greatest season and being the greatest Michigan quarterback, quarterback of all ever. time, possibly. Yeah, let, let's discuss that and much more straight ahead right here on OutKids. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up in about five minutes, we pop on the bus, or maybe we pop off the bus. Uh, we've got some big topics. It's our choice, right? It's our, our, yeah, it's our we choice. We have the decision to make. To and it's hop it's on our or buy off. or sell. We've got that coming up here on Hot Mike. Uh, Chad, J.J. McCarthy uh, has been red hot this season for Michigan, and the offense, they're dominant. The Wolverines are dominant. McCarthy's numbers right now are insane. They're really good. And saying that, they're not Michael Penix Jr. good. But J.J. McCarthy's second right now in the Heisman odds for what is a 10-to-1 odds, I believe, for him. That's the next jump between 
Penix Jr. and the other quarterbacks. McCarthy's leading that, and not only that, he's leading discussion that he could end his career as the greatest Michigan quarterback of all time. Yeah, and it's, you know, you start to think about Michigan quarterbacks, and there's obviously one that comes to mind immediately that happens to be the greatest quarterback in the history of the game writ large, and that is Tom Brady. Right. But Tom Brady didn't win to any great extent at Michigan, you know, did not win a national championship. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, the current coach, another one that comes to mind, did not win a national championship. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Chad Henney did not come close. Brian Greasy was the quarterback when they split the national title in 97 with, uh, with Nebraska. They had a split national title. I believe Brian Greasy was the quarterback on that team, but nobody considers Brian Greasy, no. Bob's son, to be the greatest Michigan quarterback of all time. This stat that Jim Harbaugh brought out uh, when talking about this and making his sales pitch as J.J. McCarthy maybe eventually being the greatest Michigan quarterback of all time, he said the statistic that speaks to it most is the amount of drives that ended with a score. He's had 213 drives as a starting quarterback. Michigan has scored on 130 of those drives. Wow. 96 have been touchdowns. 34 field goals. That's 61% of every drive where he's touched the football, the Wolverines have scored. That's pretty impressive. And that's a, that's a cool way for Jim Harbaugh to break it down with that one statistic about his effectiveness. Now, what he's not saying is how do they score those on those drives? Like, it, this has been a Michigan team that goes through the run. Yeah. Through the offensive line. And McCarthy's a part of that in the run game, too. Uh, not known for the, the savvy throwing the football. Although, he can spin it, and he's been spinning it here uh, this season where, I mean, he's completed 77, 75% of his passes uh, so far. And that's, I mean... He's going to get the Heisman recognition, but there's more recognition than just being a finalist. Um, he has also been leading Michigan to the finals, to the Final Four. Uh, and that's also uh, directly on, on any positions, directly on the QB. Not many great college football quarterbacks. He could be the greatest at Michigan. And that, that's, I mean, it, he's in the discussion. And yeah. also, like, and you brought this up too. Uh, we had a text chain going with our buddy Catfish Jake. Um, schedule is what it is, but Georgia's schedule has also been light. Yep. And Georgia, that thirty-seven twenty was the final score against Vanderbilt, and that game was sloppy, and they lose Brock Bowers, and they're they're not handling every opponent the way I, Michigan's handling. I think every Auburn's opponent. one of the bottom four or five teams in the SEC, and they struggled. Georgia struggled to win on the road at, at Auburn. Um, yeah, Michigan's South been Carolina. far more impressive. Now, just by default, Georgia's got this long winning streak and they've won the last right. two national right. titles. So, right. you know, they are the champs until proven otherwise. But they're the dominant But if you team ask me who's force. looked the best and the most dominant, it's been Michigan, even with a light schedule so far. And just such high praise from Jim Harbaugh, right. who's a great quarterback at Michigan and the head coach, to single out this guy and say, hey, guys, uh, I don't know if you're following this, but J.J. McCarthy just might be the greatest quarterback in Michigan history when you look at him statistically in the way Michigan is winning right now. Pretty impressive. Uh, as far as viewership numbers are concerned, Michigan, no, not many have watched Michigan's games. Uh, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. I, I have made the mistake, Chad, of assuming that Michael Penix Jr. Uh, has the edge over Bo Nix based on winning, game, winning the game against Oregon last week for more national... Uh, a, a prominent television exposure. And 
That's not going to happen, at least not this week. Colorado's playing UCLA uh, coming up and uh, what, two weeks, I believe? That's uh, twenty the 28th, so a week from Saturday. So after the bye week. And Washington's game with the television assignments came out. Colorado is going to be playing on ABC in primetime, in that primetime window, 7.30, I believe, uh, for them. And meanwhile, uh, you've got Washington taking on Stanford, Stanford, and that's headed to FS1. Oregon and Utah, that'll be your uh, afternoon kickoff on Fox. And Washington, top team in the conference, is headed to FS1 to take on Stanford. I understand the matchups here. But what I haven't really looked at, what have the numbers been like when Washington is on the screen in a primetime slot versus when Dion is on the screen in Colorado and the network's just simply looking at the numbers and eyeballs and thinking, we're going to play back into what was working instead of seeing a drop-off. I'm assuming that because if Washington was pulling that, we would see Washington in a window just like we saw Colorado play Colorado State. Or, is... or or any of the uh, the teams that normally would not be featured with both game day and big noon kickoff on campus, you know, it's the old chicken and the egg argument here. Uh, is Colorado important and drawing eyeballs because everyone would have cared about Colorado no matter what, or has the public and the media influenced brains? to want to pay attention to Colorado. And by putting them in slots like this, they're almost programming the sporting public to care about Colorado and want to see more, right? Yeah, they're, um, they're programming I'll, the I'll, big fight against UCLA. I'll fully confess here. I'd rather watch Colorado-UCLA than Washington-Stanford. Stanford's not good. No. Granted, they just beat Colorado on the road, but they're not good. That's a terrible loss for Colorado. And I'm still intrigued by Deion Sanders. And oh, by the way, Chip Kelly and UCLA are top 25. Right. And that may be a game they need to win to get to a bowl game. So if you're asking me to pick, and I love Washington, I love this story. I, as a viewer, as a consumer of college football, I'm more apt to watch Colorado UCLA than Washington Stanford. I, if I'm saying that, if I'm the network, if I'm Fox, I, I'm putting Washington Stanford on FS1 and taking Colorado UCLA on the network. I think this is a pretty easy decision. It's an easy this decision. This to me is not controversial in the least. Well, but it's easy to promote as well. They're going to build this up through Dion and primetime. They'll well, do the talking. They'll do the talking. And the programming will take place in the mentality of the viewing public. Unlike it, I mean, the biggest matchup last weekend, Washington and uh, Oregon, you could look at the numbers there. They're going to be good. But are they going to be consistent? Pulling yeah, numbers look, if, for either program? If it was no. Washington and USC, then okay, we, we have the argument here. And that game will be It's big. Washington against one of the cellar dwellers in the Pac-12. And and for you're right. And it was the cellar dweller that beat Colorado. Yeah, this you is... Know? And, and it's an easy decision because people have been programmed to watch Colorado even though they could be one of the cellar dwellers in the conference when it's all said and done. There are a lot of toss-up games that we went through yesterday. Yeah, I, I mean, look, if I'm ABC or the Pac-12, whoever's making this decision, yeah, I, I want the primetime window for primetime and not Washington-Stanford. I, I totally get it. Is it right? I don't know. Is it fair? Probably not. But that's what people want to tune into, including me. That's the game I'm more likely to watch. 
Well, and I just look at it from the Heisman perspective, too, because it is a, a, a financial windfall for who wins that trophy for life. And you get to be in Heisman House trophies, Hutton. That's right. And the voters get that Nissan typically money. are watching guys for about one, two, maybe three games if you're lucky, if you're in the Pac 12, especially. Not many voters are going to be watching Michael Penix Jr., even though he's got the landslide victory right now. I'm just throwing it out there. It, it ends up being Shador, who's going to be a finalist. Because everyone's been watching. Yeah, that's not going to happen now. Well, depends. Not, not with well, their not with their record. Well, it depends if they put a beat down on UCLA. <laughs> yeah. In prime time when people know. are watching. I think JJ McCarthy's going to have something to say about it when he plays Ohio well, State. They could have four finalists. Yeah. We let's head over. Uh, Davey Hudson, it's time to go on the bus or hop off the bus and buy or sell here on Hot Mike. Yeah, guys. Uh, before we get on the bus, just to start for our first destination. A conversation we could eventually have down the line is looking at the greatest quarterback in terms of college and NFL or just looking at it for when they came into the national spotlight because Tom Brady didn't really do anything in college. right? And so it's it kind of goes back to, well, who was a quarterback that won uh, irregardless of their coach? It wasn't Brady at Michigan. It wasn't Brady until he was able to get out of Belichick's shadow and go to Tampa. So I think that might just be a conversation to have uh, on a rainy day some at some That's point. Cool. But Buy a little what? Uh, I to, like it. We're on the bus with that. On the bus, on not the bus. The bus. That topic. We're going to start in Los Angeles. And, you know, Tommy Tuberville, Senator, Coach, made this uh, comment about that USC team earlier. But Lincoln Riley looks to make the jump to the NFL after this season. I don't think so. I'm off the bus on that. I'm off the bus because, uh, I mean – USC did everything possible to bring him there, including setting him up with like a, what was it, Chad, a $17, $20 million home. Like yeah, he's this, got like an old this, Hollywood mansion in villa. Malibu. Yes. Uh, I, I'm not leaving that to, you know, head to some of the places that'll be open potentially. Cleveland? Uh, <laughs> Chicago? Yeah, maybe Cleveland, where you're coaching Ch- your number one Chicago. overall pick, Caleb Williams? Mm. Well, that could, be, that could be possible if it's number one overall pick. Can I jump in here? Go ahead. You think the dad the, would allow that? The to NFL happen? doesn't want Lincoln Riley. I, I don't. I don't see it the other way. Like, I, what has Lincoln well, Riley done? Well, Davey's other than something. been a great cultivator of quarterbacks. What did Cliff Kingsbury do to get an NFL gig? Well, Cliff Kingsbury's better looking than Lincoln Riley. We all know that. That's why he got the job because of his looks. There's Davey. a lot of That's ugly why. people that get what they want. Uh, Lincoln Riley's a very good looking man money. too. He's very handsome, but Cliff Kingsbury's on another level. That's why he got the job. I, I just the Ryan Day thing with Justin Fields was. Okay, he's going to go coach his guy. I know where we're going with this. He's going to coach Caleb Williams in the NFL. If we have this dream fairy scenario where you know he's been blessed to go from Oklahoma with Caleb Williams to USC to the NFL, and it's like an AAU coach moving up in age classifications with a quarterback, fine. Outside of that, I don't know why an NFL team would want him. I really don't. Owners make stupid decisions every single year with really bad hires. Uh, and – yeah, top of the draft so, rebuild. I, I, I'm not saying that he should. I don't think it would work out. Uh, it, I'm, I'm off the bus with this as well. I don't think. I think he's staying at USC. USC going to the Big Ten. Former Chicago or current Chicago president, former Big Ten commissioner Kevin Warren. I'm just saying some of these pieces <laughs> fit together. Oh, okay, hold on. Well. So the biggest piece is the that's the a bridge too far. Lifestyle. Kevin Warren, who was with the, in the Big Ten, and. Lincoln he's a, he's Riley, who will be in the Big Ten with a different commissioner. That's the that's the connection. No, they, made the they, deal knew with Kevin they knew it was happening. They, they talked with the ADs <laughs> Do you ADs think Lincoln Riley beforehand? is on the phone with Kevin Warren when they're making that deal and going, hey, I am the representative for the University of Southern California here, and we are going to make this move. They have no 
discussions with each other at all. He coaches the football team and the program, and people above him make decisions like that to go to the Big Ten. That has nothing to do with it. I No. I'll reach out to my sources. Off All the right. bus. Next up, we're going across the country, Athens, Georgia, talking about a team that's actually done well in college football over the last couple of years with the Bulldogs. But Georgia can win the SEC championship without Brock Bowers. In this SEC, yes. Yep. On the bus. On the bus. Squarely on the they, bus, they riding could be in the front go seat. to Atlanta. It, absolutely. They could also drop a game or two. Yeah. I mean, this is a this is a strange top tier of the SEC. It's still above the mid-tier teams if we're seeing teams win one, lose one. But, Chad, Georgia's going to be right there because of the talent elsewhere, and which is still better, in some cases far better than their schedule. If there was ever a scenario for something truly crazy to happen, like, I don't know, Missouri winning the SEC, this is the year for that to happen. Do I think that'll happen? No. But I think this is the year for it to happen. Bottom line is Georgia's undefeated. And I, I don't think Brock Bowers is a huge loss, but because of their schedule, I believe without Brock Bowers, even if he doesn't play in any of the other regular season games, they're going to get to the SEC championship game. And as long as they do that, they got a chance. By the way, Lincoln Riley, over the duration of his contract at USC, $110 million. Um, you've got Sean Payton making $18 million, Belichick making 20. That's an estimate. Lincoln Riley's not leaving that. Didn't Davey also ask about Mike Tomlin getting fired? Remember Mike Tomlin <laughs> who wouldn't take the USC job? Maybe that's the swap Davey's looking for. We can get Maybe back it's to that. Lincoln Riley's uh, and Steelers. I've got, I've got a much better job. Michael McHenry's next. That.